Hello there, this is Coden. And this is Cassia. And welcome to the Ebonhawk, the podcast where we discuss Star Wars, Knights of the Old Republic, as well as all things Star Wars. Today we'll be discussing what the cancelled third installment of the Knights of the Old Republic series would have been like, and then the new High Republic character art, and then the newly announced writer for the Kenobi show. This is episode 20, and this is where the hello there begins. get us started here our first topic the uh, kenobi show has a new writer so they've changed over to joby Harold. they've taken over as the head writer for the kenobi tv series uh, some of the things that he's worked on is john wick chapter three uh, as well as edge of tomorrow he produced and was a screenwriter of king arthur legend of the sword and he directed and wrote a 2007 film called Awake, which starred an old Star Wars favorite, Hayden Christensen. When I saw that he had that connection to Hayden Christensen, it just kind of gave me some hope that maybe we'll see Hayden Christensen, like maybe Kenobi has a flashback and kind of imagines a younger, happier Anakin Skywalker before he became Darth Vader. So I would be very happy to see that happen. Um, some things have changed. The Kenobi series was originally slated for 2021, but it's been placed on hold to rethink some story elements. Some details have been uncovered that a lot of the story behind the Kenobi series is very similar to the Mandalorian story of Obi-Wan taking care of Luke, similar to the Mandalorian taking care of Baby Yoda. Obviously, there isn't a whole lot of places that Obi-Wan can go taking care of Luke, as opposed to the Mandalorian. But I imagine that there are some pieces where Obi-Wan can pretty well trust that Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru could take care of Luke while he goes off and does other things. Yeah, I've heard some I've heard some rumors that Obi-Wan may have even looked after Leia a bit in the original scripts for the Kenobi show. So that would have been interesting. But it just is kind of a huge oversight to have both of your Disney Plus shows, like your tentpole shows, to have both of the lead characters kind of looking after babies or children, you know. Joby Harold, I really enjoyed his work uh, in John Wick and Edge of Tomorrow. And, I mean, everyone kind of has some good films, some bad films, like... In Hollywood, like, you kind of go up and you go down, but I've really liked a lot of what he's done. So I would be excited for him to write the Kenobi TV series, especially with The Mandalorian's Deborah Chow directing. I am curious to see what they come up with, because what we've already talked about is that there isn't a whole lot they can do with this show unless Obi-Wan is involved with doing other things besides just posting up at Tatooine. I guess I kind of I kind of don't 
foresee this being a galaxy hopping adventure. I think it would be kind of more of a character study of what would Obi-Wan look like after Order 66 and after Anakin became Darth Vader. All of his friends are dead. Well, well most of them except for Yoda. And what does his psyche look like? I think it would be great if it was a character study and maybe it could be like kind of a small scale story, like a little bit of a Western where he kind of just takes on a few Tuscan Raiders, kind of helps some people and just kind of adjusts to, he adjusts from being General Kenobi in the Clone Wars to becoming Ben Kenobi. Like maybe it's that transition period. He's not just taking care of Luke on Tatooine. He's also hiding from the Empire. And so he's got to change his identity. He needs to find a way to assimilate himself with the Tatooine locals in a way that he's just one of them and not a Imperial fugitive. And so, yeah, there's there's a lot of neat things that I think they can tell. But from from this recent news, it sounds like they didn't have quite the imagination up front. So... Well, uh, we'll see. Uh, you know, maybe some other news will come out with uh, more details going on with there. So it sounds like the new release date projected is January 2022. It is wasteful to have to change directions this far down the line. I wonder if what was happening is there's just kind of not as much communication. Like everyone's kind of focusing on their project and not really communicating with the other projects, which sometimes I think when you have communication and you're helping each other, you kind of have a like a chemistry there and you're kind of able to come up with some good things and can give some suggestions and you kind of realize like, hey, our two projects are kind of similar. Let's kind of tweak this in the earlier stages so we're not like going to have to change one of them drastically, you know? So maybe it's a symptom of just too many hands are in the pot because you would think that the Lucasfilm division is just a subdivision of the Disney corporate as a whole. And so it's not like a a different Disney division is working on a Star Wars story compared to the Mandalorian. I mean, everybody working on these stories are all part of the same division. So the disconnect with a board meeting of just the Star Wars guys seems a bit unlikely to me unless there is just too many people messing with the studio. Yeah, I don't quite know how they run things, but whatever's going on, it seems like every project has to have some corrections, or at least most of the projects have to have some corrections, except for like episodes seven and eight with Rogue One solo episode nine you have some director drama and then with uh D.B. Weiss with the two Game of Thrones writers they kind of left and whatever's happening at Lucasfilm I think you just have to have someone in charge who knows and loves Star Wars and is able to it, it doesn't even have to be just one person. You just have to, I think you. the key is to have someone who's a creative who loves Star Wars and like have a good business like manager who can, who can hire the right people 
and keep them in line. Yeah, I mean, that is a good point. I mean, you would think that there's there's some meeting somewhere where the the Mandalorian guys and the Obi-Wan series guys meet with Kathleen Kennedy, and you would think that she would make that judgment of, huh, these kind of sound like the same story, just with different characters. And this, yeah. they would have been able to address this much early on. But either she wanted to tell similar stories or she just isn't paying attention and yeah. let it And I mean, on. it's kind of creating more work for them in the long run to have two similar projects. All right. So let's move on to our next topic, which is the High Republic character art. We'll be back with you guys after this short break. On StarWars.com, there is an article, and it's called Inside Star Wars The High Republic Meet the Jedi Knights and Masters. And in this article, you have all these different concept arts of the different characters that you're going to meet in the Project Luminous. And we just thought we would kind of go over uh, the descriptions and what we can garner through the art. And the article actually begins with a quote from Obi-Wan Kenobi in A New Hope, and it's, for over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice. And this is actually a quote that was actually going to be incorporated in the first KOTOR, but it just didn't quite fit. And Alex J. Kane introduces his book, Knights of the Old Republic with that quote. It's just an iconic quote and it's just evocative of like Jedi's golden ages taking care of the Republic. So the first character we're going to go over is Loden Greatstorm. He's a green Twi'lek with a yellow lightsaber and everyone uh, seems to be in agreement that he has a really awesome name. He is considered to be one of the best teachers in the Jedi Order. Strong and wise with a good sense of humor, Loden looks at every moment as a, as a learning experience, always trying to better himself and those around him, especially his Padawans. In his picture, he doesn't quite look like he has a sense of humor. It looks more like he's going to kill me, but he has an awesome design. And from the description, he kind of sounds like Yoda in my mind. Yeah, I mean, you think the Jedi are all about, like, governing their emotions, and so for them to have just kind of a straight emotional set isn't too far off of kind of what they are, because the extended emotions are something more of a Sith practice than a Jedi practice. I kind of wonder if this is, like, more of a golden age where the Jedi are kind of more emotionally stable and kind of more connected to humanity the people of the Republic. That's just what I'm kind of speculating. But like definitely in Knights of the Old Republic, where you kind of have the beginning of the no families and no attachments rules, you can kind of see it kind of 
being a bad thing for lots of the Jedi, especially Bastila. Little Kotor note too, his lightsaber is that of a of a sentinel. If they are allowing that lore to mesh up here, the sense of humor could make a little bit more sense. A sentinel is more involved with the planetary government. And so yeah. having to work around with other people besides Jedi. And I think that interaction can humanize a Jedi a bit more than say the Jedi council, for example, that are only among each other and discussing you know, whatever. A little they... bit of like, especially like during the prequel era, I think the Jedi council kind of became a little bit of an echo chamber. And I think that was one of the downfalls they had. So it'll be in like I'm I'm really excited to see Loading Great Storm. Like, if only because he has an excellent name and an excellent design. Keith Trennis is next. She is a human female with a green double-bladed lightsaber. And she's described as a young firebrand Jedi, believed to have a great future ahead of her, if only she would believe in herself. Quick-witted and more impulsive than she should be. Keeve has only been a Jedi for a few weeks. She's determined to prove herself to the legendary Jedi stationed on Starlight Beacon. But first, she must learn to trust in herself as much as she trusts the Force. And that sounds like Anakin. A little bit. I think Anakin's very arrogant and cocky. It has a little quote in here where she... Where, where did it say? That she isn't quite sure of herself, but she is quick-witted and impulsive. Which... Yeah. It's almost like an opposite when you think about it, but maybe she's very reactive, but not very confident in her own abilities. Yeah. Maybe more of like an Ahsoka, because Ahsoka and Anakin were very similar, but Ahsoka grew up with the Jedi, and she didn't really have that emotional baggage of having to leave her mother behind and have to have like kind of two different upbringings. So it sounds like... She's like Anakin, but without that baggage. Yeah, That's I, how I think of her. I, I like that Ahsoka reference because early Ahsoka, like season one, season two, Ahsoka is very not confident Jedi, but did have some skill behind her, but not not confident in that skill. So maybe that is a pretty good lineup there. And then the, the next Jedi we have is still in Geos. He's a human male with a blue lightsaber. He kind of has that cross guard sort of like Kylo Ren, but not quite. So it makes it kind of look like an Excalibur, which is a detail I like. And he's described as an optimistic and well-respected Jedi Master. Stellan came up through the Order with Avar Chris, and although they are often on different assignments for the Jedi or the Republic, when the two work together, they are a powerhouse team of two noble heroes in action. Strong in the Force and a natural teacher, Stellan is currently stationed at one of the Jedi Temple outposts on the distant planet of Caragon Finer. So it sounds like there is a starlight beacon. If you see a picture of it, it's a space station, and it kind of has like one of the towers on it. It looks like the Jedi Temple on Coruscant, the towers on that. So I think it's kind of like a space station where a lot of the Jedi are housed as the Republic kind of opens up a lot of hyperspace lanes. So it's kind of like their their outpost in the AKA Wild West. The the galaxy is becoming more open to hyperspace travel. 
So it sounds like he's kind of on a different planet, and Avar and a lot of the Jedi are stationed on the Starlight Beacon. But when I when I heard that description, I, it reminded me still in an Avar. They sound like they kind of have the Obi Wan Kenobi and Siri Tachi dynamic from Legends. Siri and Obi Wan, they grew up together, kind of opposites. But when they worked together, they were a great team. So it reminded me of that. When I heard this, I was like, oh, it, like, I wonder if it's going to be kind of like the Obi-Wan Kenobi and Siri Tachi dynamic. And I honestly would not be surprised because the High Republic, it evokes like the King Arthur motif with the Excalibur and like the knightly attire. I wouldn't be surprised if we see some subtle courtly love going on. There's kind of a love there, but like... Because they're Jedi, they make that choice to not pursue it. So that's that's what I kind of see that as. But what are your thoughts on Stellan? When Obi-Wan and Siri were young, they were more of like a role of the competitive brother-sister relationship. But they were around each other like with the competition of like a brother and sister. But they weren't. Yeah. I mean, they weren't family. So yeah. it wasn't like a it wasn't like a weird relationship. They weren't romantic in the Jedi Apprentice series. They like not at all. Even the Siri and Obi Wan arc isn't much different than the Obi Wan Anakin relationship because they kind of see each other as brothers, and there's still that competition where Obi Wan not so much towards Anakin, but Anakin towards Obi Wan of trying to like outdo his master all the time. So I think that can work but it's it's not anything that we haven't seen before i think is where i'm going with that now that siri tachi isn't really part of the official canon i wouldn't mind seeing like some elements of her and maybe like that dynamic somewhere else in their canon so uh, speaking of stellan geos his padawan is vernestra aka Vern Rowe. And she is a Mira Allen female with a blue lightsaber. And when I see her picture, I'm just like, she's youthful. You know, she looks she looks young. And her description says she was a Padawan to Stellan Geos. She works hard and is devoted to the Jedi Order, more so than most others her age. At 16, she is one of the youngest Jedi Knights in a generation. She struggles to fit in with the adults while also setting a good example for the younger Jedi. So she kind of sounds like a little bit of an honor student, you know? Someone trying to please the adults and kind of make a good show to the younger people. Yeah, I mean, that is pretty young Jedi Knight. I'm the, the cutoff, looking at Legends lore here, the cutoff of the Temple Padawan to a apprentice of a master is about 13. So... Going off of the yeah. Legends lore, that's three years of being an apprentice before being promoted to Jedi Knight, which is pretty impressive. And I mean, maybe like, maybe she ages differently than humans, but maybe it's like during their golden age, maybe their training is different and some people just get it sooner. But yeah, it'll be interesting, like... Hope she makes it, you know? I don't want her to be one of the people cut down, like, in their prime, you know? I'm, I'm kind of curious about 
the schooling of the Jedi of the Old Republic, a little bit more expansion on that, because in the prequel trilogy, it's apparent that Jedi were essentially just mass produced. And so maybe maybe they were a bit more careful back then or yeah, or maybe it was the same. Maybe they were always just kind of mass produced up until up until the purge but you definitely get the sense like with the prequel trilogy that the jedi kind of just kind of got caught up with like kind of answering to the republic senate and the chancellor's whims and it was kind of less about like doing the will of the force and kind of just sticking to the letter of the law and what was good for the Republic government, not necessarily the Republic. And Qui-Gon and Dooku both thought that they were kind of just raising younglings and designing them to be Jedi, not like people who thought for themselves and sought to fulfill the will of the Force. So we're kind of told, like, this is a hopeful, optimistic time, so hopefully we see that, you know? Mm-hmm. in the high republic and then i i thought we would conclude with avar chris she's a human female with a green lightsaber this picture isn't the best of her it kind of makes her look cold like when i saw that picture i'm like oh she's gonna be kind of like maybe a little standoffish and aloof maybe like dooku she just looks a bit cold and like like a disney villain but she's described like a Qui-Gon Jinn. So the description goes, Avar is the brightest, most noble example of Jedihood. She always tries to see the good in people and situations and never puts herself first. She is invigorated about life on the frontier and the challenges it brings. She is compassionate, not dogmatic, and always ready to sacrifice herself over others. And one thought I had when I was uh, reading this is Obi-Wan is always described as the perfect Jedi. Like, no matter, like, if you're looking at episode one, two, three, four, five, six, he's always described as perfect. But, like, when you kind of look at his character, he's really not so perfect. And he kind of grows and makes mistakes. And he tells the truth from a certain point of view. Obi-Wan as a character is consistent, but not static. So I kind of wonder if, like, we're going to get that with Avar Chris, And that's kind of what I think. The description of Obi-Wan being the perfect Jedi makes sense if that came from the Jedi Council. Because in the Council's perspective, Obi-Wan was the, like, the example of what they thought a Jedi should be, like, obedient, very like put their emotions outside of the situation the selfless nature of jedi is shown very well with obi-wan but then we got like kotor 2's definition of what are those definitions and so maybe maybe someone like qui-gon is a better example of the overall perfect jedi because it's not about a set of rules set out it's more about the morality of the decisions being made and so maybe maybe that's kind of what they're getting at with Avar is that she isn't like a cookie cutter type Jedi. She's more understanding of like the situation that's in front of her. So I don't know. It sounds like she connects with people 
and has a good perspective. And she's not kind of just sitting around in a council chamber on Coruscant. She's on the frontier. And I like how it describes her as compassionate, not dogmatic. So I'm excited for her as a character. I kind of don't like this picture of her because I think it makes her look cold. A better picture, you can see it, is the cover of Light of the Jedi by Christopher Soule. You just see it and it's like, seems like a golden ray of hope and optimism, you know? This picture is basically just a combat stance. This is a, a Form 1 combat stance that she's holding. Not all of these are combat stances of these pictures, but hers definitely is. I, I wonder if we will see more articles like these on the High Republic in the future, or if this is what we're getting until Light of the Jedi is released. I think the less uh, descriptive material, the better, because I'd, I'd like to discover this when the material releases. Yeah. Like, I don't want it, I don't want it all laid out for me by the time that the stories come out, because there wouldn't be much of a story to tell. A lot of these character bios that they have on this website, these are things that I would like to discover reading the stories and not necessarily... I hope that they don't like expect you to just know this walking into these stories. because it, Or it's something that you also discover while you're reading it or relearning it. So mm -hmm. that's my hope, at least. Yeah. All right. Well, should we move on to our final topic? Yes. All right, so we'll take another break, but when we come back, we'll move on to our final discussion of the Knights of the Republic 3. a article brought up by PC Gamer from Chris Avaloni. He came forward to uh, the old plans of a like a proposed KOTOR 3. And if you want to take a look at this article again, it's just from PC Gamer and the article title is Chris Avaloni Reveals Plan KOTOR 3 Premise and it involved battling ancient Sith Lords. So it seems like a very familiar style of game that we've seen in the past for Star Wars. I guess learning learning about the different Siths and battling kind of lesser Siths and, and confronting the greater Siths later down the road. And one of the first things that came to my mind with this is the similarities that this game had, or this proposed game had with the game that released around the same time, The Force Unleashed. The Force Unleashed series was probably the last series that LucasArts was able to complete before they were shut down because Disney bought LucasArts and Star Wars, all that. Then they were shut down. It's just kind of interesting to see Knights of the Old Republic 1. You go to different planets to find different Sith Lords, or you go to different planets to find different Star Maps. And then in Knights of the Old Republic 2, you go to different planets to find different Jedi Masters. And then in what was seen as a trilogy, Chris Avalone and Obsidian Entertainment were 
gonna have you travel to different swaths of the galaxy to track down different Sith Lords and super scary Sith Lords, like the worst of the worst. It would be interesting to kind of learn about the origins of those Sith, then slay them. I like the idea of having a completed KOTOR trilogy. And I, I'm kind of sad that it never happened, and what we got instead was, like, an MMO 300 years later. <laughs> I would have rather had a completed trilogy and then have an MMO kind of connected to some of the characters within KOTOR, but have it kind of be its own thing. Yeah, I mean, the MMO does feel a little disconnected from the first two games. Like, you when you jump in, you're just kind of greeted with like this has been the life of whatever faction that you chose and this is what's going on now this is what's going on forward and so yeah to have something kind of bridge that gap i think would have been really good i think just as a as a board perspective when they're probably given the idea of kotor 3 and they were working on the force unleashed they probably had the discussion that we wish that they had with the Obi-Wan and Mandalorian that these games seem very similar. Why would a gamer buy both of these if you're essentially doing the same thing, just a different perspective? I, I kind of think more what ended up getting KOTOR 3 canceled was kind of just the rushed KOTOR 2. And when it first came out, People just didn't really like KOTOR 2 as much. But as the years have gone by, like they've restored the lost content that was meant to be there and fixed some of the glitches. And even without that, people discovered and rediscovered and kind of fell more in love with the deep philosophical story that KOTOR 2 had. But I think at the time, LucasArts, by rushing... KOTOR 2 kind of killed the chances of there being a KOTOR 3. And then sometimes just when game companies are trying to, when they kind of run into problems with one project, even if they like it and they're trying to launch a new project, sometimes just the new project takes precedent. Just how they designed KOTOR 1 and KOTOR 2. When I looked over just the synopsis of KOTOR 2, it kind of seems hard to think that that would bridge between a KOTOR 1 and a KOTOR 3. The The game itself dives into the, just kind of like w- what the force is and is there actually like a good or evil or is that separate from the force? Is force lightning a Sith power, for example? It's maybe maybe the reasons why you use the force lightning, but the force lightning itself isn't like an evil power. And I think that's kind of like the, the things that KOTOR 2 tackles, but the story continuity between KOTOR 1 and KOTOR 2 doesn't seem like it's that connected to, to the point where making it into a, th- a third game to like seal up a grand picture seems to be doable, I think, just, just from what I've been all together between the two games. How I kind of see it is KOTOR 1 is kind of like your episode 4. It's kind of like your standard space adventure hero's journey and then with episode five you kind of have a story where it's kind of like a 
deeper, darker, more complex story, kind of exploring what the Force is. I would say that KOTOR 1 and KOTOR 2 are kind of like an exaggerated version of those stories. And I guess you could even say like episodes 7 and 8, they're kind of similar to Knights of the Older Public 1 and 2. Season 7 is your kind of derivative hero's journey, kind of introducing some new new characters. And 8 was kind of a deconstruction, kind of examining and exploring what Star Wars was. I mean, we can, you can have your own opinions on whether those stories, that's kind of how I saw it. Like, KOTOR 1 is that light space journey, and then KOTOR 2 is kind of that deeper, darker examination of what Star Wars and, like, what the Force is. But an interesting thing is uh, Chris Avalone what, hadn't really been exposed to Star Wars before, writing Knights of the Old Republic too, so he kind of read everything, and even he even watched the holiday special just to understand what Star Wars was, and he was just trying to come up with something that, like a story for Knights of the Old Republic too that would kind of comment, like, on everything that Star Wars was. And I think that's why the character of Kreia is so rich and it examines, like, the heart of what Star Wars is, which is the Force. And I don't think it's a clear-cut answer because the Force is more complex than Sith, Jedi, Light, Dark, you know, even, like, the universe. So I really enjoyed uh, KOTOR 2. I think what makes a trilogy work really well, though, is the second piece of the trilogy really needs to build up what you're going to be doing in the third piece. And just with how they conclude KOTOR 2, the conclusion is fine for KOTOR 2, uh, except for the possibility of making a KOTOR 3. When you have a third installment of a trilogy, you want to spend a lot of that installment on the like the final buildup and the the climax and the resolution you don't want to spend a lot of time on the third installment like building more story it's kind of why the sequel trilogy movie was as rocky as it was is because it spent so much of its time rebuilding story to justify itself where that all should have been done in the middle movie but I would argue that Knights of the Old Republic 2 would have built, was building up uh, KOTOR 3, because all throughout KOTOR 2, you learn that Revan is missing, has gone missing, and that's why T3 came to the Jedi exile in the first place, is to track them down so they can find Revan confronting the true Sith that were coming to threaten the galaxy. So what their proposed third game pitch was, it was to uh, have the player follow the trail of Darth Revan across the galaxy and battle those uh, Sith Lords. And they would be very scary Darths and you would be uncovering their origins and kind of learning more about them and the Force. They would have, like, Titan-like abilities and powers, I would say, and different psychologies, personalities, and history, and I just think it would be fun to 
have been able to play that. I guess just to conclude this this article up, like it, it was neat to see that there was plan for KOTOR three, and it's it's too bad that it wasn't able to to be a thing. But and instead we got kind of Sotor and the Revan novel. The Revan novel did it, you know, tried to wrap things up, but we we do have our our opinions on the Revan novel. And Sotor I think is just a good like themed Kotor experience, but it's just kind of its own thing. And yeah, I I mean I would have rather had a trilogy like a complete Kotor trilogy, and then maybe like Swotor could have happened three hundred years later. And it could have incorporated like descendants from KOTOR and kind of been its own thing. But I'd prefer like the conclusion of KOTOR to happen in KOTOR's timeline, not SWOTOR's timeline. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, this has been Coden. And this has been Cassia. And you can find us at twitch.tv forward slash CodenBun, streaming Thursday evenings, either 6 or 7 p.m. Just uh, watch out for that tweet. Uh, If you want to email us your comments and questions, you can do so at ebonhawkpodcast at gmail.com. And then our Instagram is ebonhawkpodcast. Our podcast can be found on Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud at The Ebonhawk. We're always grateful for subscriptions, shares, and reviews. And our intro and outro themes were composed by Alistair Shorman. He can be found at alistairsounds.wixsite.com forward slash alistairsounds. Our transition music was composed by Christian Walker, and he can be found at christianwalkermusic.com. This has been episode 20 of The Ebon Hawk. May the force be with you. We'll be back soon. Bye for now.